Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, what we want to do this morning is to think your thoughts, the thoughts that you have communicated in your word for us to be able to understand and figure out a way to build a bridge into the way we live our lives on a daily basis. We need insight. We need perspective. We need to have the ability, Father, to relate truth to life in practical ways. So, Father, no matter what the background, no matter what the experience is this morning for people, some of whom perhaps even have an abortion in their past, others of whom are at cutting edge in crisis pregnancy centers but need some added ways to, practically speaking, with a, a sound theology in mind, communicate truth to life. Wisely, lovingly, clearly. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. And shape these wills. We've come here, Father, again to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's probably not the setting where you would say to yourself, that is one of the most memorable worship experiences that I have ever had. But it certainly was in my experience. I, with my physiology book of Guyton's physiology in mind, was making my way into my undergraduate class, and I took my seat. The physiology professor gave such a powerful lecture that some of his teachings still stand out in my mind to this very day. But what stood out in particular was that David had a way, Dr. Bruce, of continuously keeping God at the forefront of what we were studying. Future physicians, physicians' assistants, nurses, and on and on came out of that class. At a certain point, Dr. Bruce, David, he paused to catch his breath when one of the students stood up and began to sing, How Great Thou Art. And then another, and then another, and then another, until you could hear the swell voice offering praise to the God of the universe who is the source of all life. I wrote down in my physiology book that day, this is the theology of biology. Theology is the study of God. Biology is the study of life. You and I live in a culture that has separated theology from biology. And then we're left to wonder, uh, how did life come about? Why are we here? Where is life headed? These questions that seem so unanswered in the secular press can be fully addressed within the church that takes God and God's word seriously that what I'd like to do in these minutes together in very practical ways is to think through how to maintain a connection personally, evangelistically, on and on, of the theology of biology and understand how it relates to modern-day life. 
And to do it, we're going to draw out three aspects of this passage that I think have direct bearing upon what we're considering on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. You have, in fact, an insert in front of you to track with me. We're in verse 13. We're going to consider the origin of life. We'll make our way further to talk about the organization of life. And then we'll end by simply talking briefly about the ordination of life, what God has ordained for you and for me. But let's start with the origin of life, human life. And we see it in verse 13, where now you and I are told, but for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now notice how this begins as we consider first the origin of life. Notice the word you, which appears not once but twice at the beginning of each of these phrases. It's placed in the emphatic position in the Hebrew language. You. And you only formed my inward parts. You. And you only knit me together in my mother's womb. (coughs) The emphatic is placed upon God and God alone. The exclusive sovereign one. But now, furthermore, notice with me the word formed. You formed. The word formed is used six times in your Older Testament and carries with it the idea to create. Now, by taking that emphatic opening phrase, you formed, what we need to do then is to begin to tease this out and think it through. What, in essence, is, can be derived from this is that God is the source of life, And parents are the means of life. But when you remove theology from biology, the result is there is growing confusion in the culture. Who is the source of life? And so it could very well be that the parent says, well, we are the source of life. Therefore, we establish the ethics of what is right and what is wrong with regard to who or what is in that womb. Or maybe the government does. Once you remove the you, well, then we've got moral relativism on our hands, don't we? But you and I have got to be able to see that God is Lord of life, and he is Lord of all. And so the one who creates something out of nothing is the one who places life within the womb of the woman, And so now, not once, not twice, not three times, up to six times, what you and I find in the Older Testament is that this Hebrew word performed is used here, and it relates to the whole idea of creation. Solomon, which I hope to be able to get to within the next year or two, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, I think it will be a great study, wrote in chapter 11, verse 5, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. 
And he could be saying that to the culture that we live in today. Notice the next phrase here. For you formed my inward parts. Now, inward parts in the original language is where we derive the word kidney. Kidney. In essence now, what he is doing is he is identifying symbolically, he is saying the kidneys as representative of all the human organs. For you, in the emphatic position, form created, Hebrew word emphasizes the one who exclusively creates my inward parts such as the kidneys. Then goes ad to say at this point, you, again in the emphatic, knitted me together. Notice the phrase, knitted me together. Salonach, Hebrew word. Weaving together is the poetic description. It's the artisan at work taking this tapestry and putting something of high significance together, visually arresting. But notice together. What he is doing at this point, then, is he's saying with regard to the connective tissue, God is involved in making certain, then, that we are creating that sense of connectedness. And where is this sense of connectedness happening? Within the womb, you see, of the mother. In a dialogue between Chris Matthews and Rob Reiner, in this conversation leading up to the election where they were pondering the whole matter of the Supreme Court and its role and Roe v. Wade and where things will go. Where all of a sudden, Chris Matthews says to Rob Reiner, you and I don't know what it's like to have a human being come out of us. Hello? That's quite an experience to have a baby. To which Rob Reiner responded, that's right. We also don't know what it's like to have a human being growing inside of us and nurturing a human being. Interesting. I find it more than ironic that God chose a physician to pen this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the home of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what do we gain from this insight at this point? We have to understand that God is the source of life. The parents are the means of life. God is the one who is arranging the connective tissue. This is not potential life. This is life with potential. This is not potential life. Potential life does not leap for joy. 
This is life with potential. And that one who possessed life with potential would go on honoring the second member of the Trinity by serving as the forerunner throughout the days of his life, paving the way for Jesus. He was even doing it within the womb. At this point, then, you and I begin to realize that we are dealing with something of significance within this culture. We have to understand that your starting point in the way you think through ethics will affect your ending point. If you make the parents the starting point rather than God, then the parents become the authorities of who or what is in that womb. But, If God is the starting point and theology is what determines biology, then your starting point and your ethical development and conversations within the culture will shape the ending point as to where all this leads, you see. And this even impacts the way in which you consider the legal system of today. Voters in Kentucky just elected a pro-life House of Representatives, and in its first days, the legislature enacted a law protecting the lives of unborn babies who can feel pain. And just weeks before that, Ohio's legislature passed a similar protective law. So now we have 16 states that have laws to protect these babies. What we have to understand then when we're looking at this is that there is a relationship here between the medical, biological, the legal, and the moral. And when one says to you, but you can't legislate morality, your response ought to be, well, yes, we can. The only question is, whose morality will be legislated? You've got to be able to ask yourself what comes first or who comes first. Theology should shape biology. Here is a beginning point in the emphatic position for you formed my inward parts. You, now he speaks artistically and poetically, knitted me together in where my mother's womb And then you consider the fact that the second member of the Trinity was positioned within the womb of Mary. This was not potential life because he lived before being placed in the womb of Mary. This was life with the potentiality of going to the cross to die for your sins and mine, you see. And this is even how you connect Christmas with Good Friday and Good Friday with Easter the ultimate statement of life. This is powerful. Harold O.J. Brown put it this way. With regard to the morality of killing a developing fetus, it is not enough to say we are not sure it is human. We must be able to say we are sure it is not human. If a hunter were to see movement in a bush and shoot at it, it would not be enough for him to say he was not sure it was not another hunter. He would have to be able to say he was sure it was not. 
How can we be sure the fetus is not a human being? And now you consider the ultrasound movement of today. And those, even in our three services this morning, who are involved with crisis pregnancy centers. And what we are doing at this point is bringing truth to life and connecting life to truth. But the challenge is, is that in our culture, there's this tendency to want to suppress truth. We'll get that to that in a second. Because I want you to notice with me, as we move from the origin of life, we move, second of all, to the organization of life, found in verse 14 down through the first part of verse 16. Now, this is a moment of worship. It's almost as if David at this point was sitting in my physiology course. Because then he bursts out musically in praise. I praise you. Notice how directional this is. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Now, notice that the word wonderful, wonder, wonderfully, appears periodically throughout the scriptures in ways that help us to better understand who God is and how God works. For example, if you and I were pondering the significance of the book of Isaiah and begin to think seriously about who this Messiah is, and what this Messiah was to be all about. Consider, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The same word is used when you consider Exodus 3, verse 20, in the parting of the Red Sea. It was a work of wonder. It was used in the book of Job when people are struggling with the whole matter of theology as it relates to biology, when it seems as though the body is breaking down. Where are you, God? And he is the God of wonder. Where in Psalm 78 verse 32, where the psalmist is chronicling the, the movements of the Israelites through the wilderness, how they turned their back on God, in spite of all this, they still sinned, despite his wonders. They did not believe. You begin to say to yourself, but what about, what about, the person that comes into this world physically, mentally impaired? What about their challenges? What about the matter of the quality of life as it relates to the sanctity of life? What is described in Exodus chapter 4, verse, verse 10, where Moses said to the Lord, I, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. And get this. Is this like your God? 
Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who's made him mute? Or deaf? Or seeing? Or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So now what God is saying is that even where there are physical or mental impairments and challenges on our heads, he's not disconnecting himself from that. He's saying that the purpose in bringing glory to his name, and there is where the quality of life and the sanctity of life come together in a way that helps us to better understand the relationship of theology to biology. And so there now, you've got yourself a verse 14, bringing out the worship experience of it all. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And now ponder the significance of what comes next here. My soul knows it very well. Now, in the culture of decline, and you see it in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, a culture declines where there is the suppression of truth. Where people try to keep what is real and what is true, what's right, what is true, beneath the surface so they don't have to deal with it until an ultrasound flashes. Or all of a sudden, a Chris Matthews and a Rob Reiner Often talk about the baby in the womb. Truth has a way, you see, of resurfacing. So we keep resurfacing it now as you continue on. And in verse 15, it goes on to say here, My frame was not hidden from you. My frame pertains at this point to the skeletal system. And we've laid out for you various systems of the body in your insert means the bony substance, not hidden from you. In other words, God is consciously involved in developmental biology. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Developmental biology here, you're going to carry that word secret a little further. It has the imagery of the depths of the earth. But for David's time period treasure would typically be buried beneath the surface, overlooked by many. But the possessor of the treasure knew where to find it. That is the word picture that's here. My frame was not hidden from you. An ultrasound brings that out when I was being made in secret. Now, notice the poetic artistic language tied to the medical truths, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Intricately woven at this point means literally variegated colors. It's that of an artisan. And the artisan is taking this tapestry and has a design in mind And here we find the relationship between the designer and the design. We have an opportunity evangelistic in this day and age to speak and argue for intelligent design. 
and point out that behind this design stands an intelligent designer who in eternity past dealt not only with physical creation, but then furthermore had in mind new creation realities. And these are evangelistic opportunities that God gives you and me. For in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. An unformed substance means embryo. Halfway through my master's program, I took a year off from my training because I still wasn't certain whether God was leading me into the pastorate or going back into medicine. And so I did an internship. I headed out to Ohio, left Illinois for Ohio, and did an internship under a man who would become a professor of New Testament at Fuller Theological Seminary, but at that time was pastor. When I arrived on the scene, Walt told me that one of the first things we were going to be involved with in my internship is we were going to be going to a a pregnancy center, and he said that with a half smile on his face, half frown on his face, because it was a Planned Parenthood setting. It was an abortion clinic. And he said that there was going to be a massive gathering there, and CBS, NBC, and ABC, the various affiliates were all going to be there. Uh, It was being sponsored by now the National Right to Life, and there could be upwards of 1,000 there. And I said, well, what's all going to be involved? He said, there's going to be singing, and there's going to be testimonies, and then there's going to be a message that will have to be given in a very succinct way where there are sound bites because the newscasters are going to pick up on phrases, and then they're going to, it's most likely going to show up on the news. I said, that's incredible. And I asked him, who's speaking? He said, you are. <laughs> and that was my first go-around when it came to speaking in front of cameras. Plainly just speaking. Now what stood out at that point was that I had to make a connection between theology and biology. And to put it in such a way that would seize the attention of the 6 o'clock, 11 o'clock crowd of those viewing So how do you go about doing that? Well, for those of us that are involved in these kinds of issues of today, it helps to be able to get a visual. So let's do a visual and ponder the significance of the organization within the womb and begin by noticing what's going on after four days of fertilization. Well, notice here that the zygote does not look like a human at this point. In fact, since fertilization, that zygote has possessed a determined sex. In this case, it's a girl. And she's got her own unique set of human DNA, which God will sovereignly use to guide her body's development. But we keep moving along. And you inch into weeks five and six of gestation. And now this beautiful young lady is only a quarter of an inch long, but her nose, mouth, and ears are already taking shape. 
their hearts beating about a hundred times a minute, almost twice as fast as yours. And well, the blood is beginning to circulate through her body, and brain waves have been detected for at least two to three weeks. How about seven weeks gestation? Well, that's kind of hard to read some of the print there up on the screen, but you're looking at the chorionic sac and the amniotic sac, and the eye, the liver, umbilical cord, and placenta. In other words, I want you to see here how God is beginning to distinguish. He's the great physician. He's the great artisan. And all the disciplines of life are coming together here. You make your way to 10 weeks. And all this young lady's major body functions, they're up and running. Kidneys, intestines, brain, liver, they're all working. Tiny arms, legs, they're already starting, you see, to flex. And unfortunately, most abortions in the U.S. have taken place around this time. Twelve weeks. Now her muscles are beginning to bulk up. She's busy. She's stretching. She's kicking. If you were to put your hand, mom's in particular, put your hand on your tummy and she's in there, well, she'll likely begin wiggling in response because her reflexes are starting to develop, though you won't feel it yet. Then you get to week 16. This week, the baby is going through a growth spurt. Soon she'll be growing locks of hair on her head. She's already started growing toenails. And every day her heart pumps about 25 quarts of blood through her body. Well, when you get to weeks 18 through 20 of gestation, right about now, she's got her own unique set of fingerprints. And at six months, well, at six months gestation, this young lady can now respond to external sounds by moving and increasing the pulse. And mom may notice a jerking motion if this, uh, this little gal hiccups. She hiccups. Now, check out month six and seven. And then you begin to see how this baby is reaching a stage of development captures, seizes the attention. Make your way into eight months. And at eight months here, at this point, this baby can hear, begin to recognize mom's voice. Her skin's pink. She's already beginning to get that cute, chunky appearance, like some of you. No names. It's that extra fat that's important to her, you see, because it allows the baby to regulate her temperature after birth. At this point, what we see here is that we are not posing an argument of religion versus science because the Lord of the universe is the Lord of science. He is the theologian. He is the the theology of biology. What we do have to help people in the culture to understand is that there's a difference between science and scientism. Real science versus a philosophy of science. 
scientism is rooted in naturalism. Science, where all things come under the sovereign workings of the creator of this universe. It's fascinating to me how in the history of science, so many pivotal scientists were Christians. So you begin to fit this together, and we realize that in a rights-oriented society such as ours, there's the struggle between the authority of God and the supposed autonomy of humanity. But autonomy means self-law. And so when we do not recognize there is a law above the law, well, then we look at the rulings of 1973 in the Supreme Court and you remove theology from biology, well, then, in essence, the court is saying that the right to decide whether to abort is in the hands of the parent. What we've got at stake here, then, is an issue of authority. Who says what is right? Who says what is wrong? Remove theology from biology, and the culture then makes that decision. But when you reestablish theology with biology, the result is then you do not have the autonomy of, of humanity, but rather you reinstitute the authority of God over humanity. And you're not surprised when a John the Baptist leaps for joy within the womb of Elizabeth as he, as he is presented with the Messiah within the womb of Mary. And all of this was ordained in eternity past. And only a sovereign God can do that. And that Jesus Christ within the womb of Mary was not potential life because he lived before he was born. The eternal God. Second member of the Trinity. And now we see here all these things and the issues of life today begin to fit together and how, how we deal with the legislation of morality. And we have to understand the whole matter of the legal as it relates to the moral. And the question is, and whose morality is legislated? But there's one more area that needs to be evaluated. It's the ordination of human life. And you spot that in the second part of verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The parent is not to be the ordainer of life. But the one who three days later was raised from the dead is the ordainer of life. And what is so fascinating for you and so fascinating for me is that our days, all of our days, are written in God's book. God's book, God the source, where we deal with theology. The parents as the means which deals them with biology. And we can't confuse the two. You pull that together then. And it should overwhelm your heart where you then read in verses 17 and 18, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. And I awake, and I am still with you. And when you reconnect biology to theology, then you can see the fingerprint of God 
within the culture. Whitaker Chambers did. Whitaker Chambers broke from communism at the time in which his young daughter smeared porridge on her face. An incredibly influential man globally, he was. Chambers found himself looking at her, quote, intricate, perfect ears, unquote. He saw immense design, not a chance coming together of atoms, and, quote, at that moment the finger of God was first laid upon my forehead, unquote. And when we grasp the significance of what we are talking about here and how God himself has entered into this this epic by sending Jesus via the womb of Mary into this world to die on a cross and three days later a life moment raising him from the dead. Then we join with other students in a physiology course as they brought Guyton's physiology book into their class setting. We're in the midst of a very powerful teaching connecting theology to biology. A student stands, and then another, and then another. And then a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit is, with arms being extended upward, begin to sing, How Great Thou Art. When you see a birth, when you ponder ultrasound, may you find yourself saying, how great thou art. Here is the theology of biology unfolding in front of our very eyes. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we're thanking you now and praising you for who you are, thanking you now and praising you for how you work, and asking that you continuously work within the mindset and the hearts of each and every one in all these services today. We need to see the fingerprints of God. We need to be able to develop well-reasoned statements to people that would push back because their tendency is to suppress the truth and find ways to engage them where we move them from the intelligent design to the intelligent designer and show that not only are we creation people, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can be new creation people when we put our faith and trust in the one who is raised from the dead. So thank you, Father, that on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we have the opportunity to talk about the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And for this, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.